Hey everybody and welcome to episode 28 of Mastication Nation, the podcast that, that got there in the end. Episode Z, yeah. Episode uh, Z or Z-Z. I, I think that like, it, we're like, I don't know what made me think about this, but there was a Twitter uh, post I saw, it was either through QI or one of those other sort of random knowledge ones. And uh, there was a Japanese marathon runner at the beginning of the last century. Oh, that's funny, I saw that too. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this? Yeah, and, tell the story. And, it's cute. And uh, he he was running the marathon in one of the Olympics and uh, didn't necessarily give up. They were saying that he fell asleep and then a nice family took him in for tea. Uh, apparently, he just stopped and had tea and then just went home afterwards. And so the Olympic Committee allowed him to come back and finish the Olympics at a, at a later date. And so his uh, his Olympic time is something like 56 years. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah he came back like it. decades later and the when it when it went back to the to this I think was it Stockholm? I think it was yeah. Stockholm. So Mastication Nation is the Japanese marathon runner of uh podcasts. We got yeah, there. Yeah, we the got end. there in the end. And apologies to everybody for our radio we'll silence. Talk, yeah, we'll talk about where we've been and why we've been away. Yeah. We always try and record in the summer, but uh especially this summer it was never gonna be easy. But we are here and we are finishing up the alphabet all the way through. I think it's taken us how long is it? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we've had fun. And thanks to everybody that got in touch uh, and has been sharing their food journeys and experiences and has also been chewing us out for not uh, <laughs> for not posting in a long time. So apologies for that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Sorry. But it, people have been in touch, right? I mean, people have been posting wondering stuff where on we Instagram. Are. And, well, wondering where we are, but also – sharing what they've been eating and uh, making suggestions. There still remains a massive layovers, mastication nation, attache, like trifecta of overlap where people are like, will tag us in, in, a, in a layovers tweet because they ate something good and on a flight somewhere or someone will be like, oh, uh, this, I, I heard you guys talk about this in the tacos episode and then I watched the attache episode of Mexico City and I went to the same place and I had them there. So I, I rather like that. Um, what's the word? Synergy? Symb- synergy or symbiosis, yeah. Symbiosis, yeah. So, but yeah, I, I, I think um, we're very lucky because we've got listeners that that love food and love to talk about food and love to share food. And I... I really, really appreciate it. I think it's uh, the, the the you know I don't want to go through everybody, but a lot of people that have been in touch. Um, Joel Candia, who we I think may have guilted into restarting his Instagram account because <laughs> yeah. he took a break be- for for reasons which I think he explained and I think we touched on in an episode. But he came back because. Well, we guilted him into it a little bit, but I think it's important that he keeps doing it because everything that Joel posts on Instagram, and mainly in stories uh, of his food adventures, in mainly in Perth and Western Australia, but he also goes up to Singapore and Malaysia quite a lot and also out throughout Australia. It's insane. Like Perth's food game is strong. The stuff that he posts is crazy. Yeah. Burgers yeah, and the you know everything um, pan Asian food. I'm just so impressed, so impressed. I think that yeah, we need to we need to do a live in live in Australia or something like that, and just use them as an excuse to to go ERA around uh, Joel's recommendations. Yeah, I mean seriously, I mean follow Joel. His um his Instagram t- handle is hashtag the word hashtag Joel O J O E L O. So hashtag j-o-e-l-o and i think i lost will so i'm gonna stop talking hey i'm back okay will's back that's good you didn't miss anything it was just me telling everybody what uh joel's instagram handle was but uh he's he's always sending me stuff uh and he found some decent mexican food in australia which is always oh wait no i think it was a lounge joel i can't remember you're gonna have to tell everybody because you sent me an instagram story which they evaporate over time. But I did reply to, I think it was in a lounge, actually. It wasn't a lounge. It was an airline lounge that he found tacos. And I think that that's pretty amazing. So, and he's he, always in touch. So thank you. And then <laughs> I fear range. I want to get on the show because I, I'm determined to figure out more about you. Cause you're obviously like Archer or something. 
you drive supercars. Yeah. You eat baller food, mainly Southeast Asian in LA, but you do go off piste from time to time. And yeah. And the only person you let get close to is your dog. So Yeah, your dog, good. your cool dog. Uh your pug I think it's a pug, isn't it a pug? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um Fear Engine L if you ever need anything, any food tips in LA, uh follow him on Instagram. F E and then the word arrange. Because holy Yeah, cow. he actually he hit me up a few months ago and he was coming up to to NorCal um for work i think i think he was going to see the tesla folks or something um and he he asked for some suggestions and unfortunately every single suggestion i gave to him was uh not open at lunchtime um but i think he w- ended up going to octavia which was one of the places i went to a few years ago and talked about on the show and they did the tasting menu and i really really enjoyed it i think he was able to get in there um to, to try it out um the other suggestions i made were liho liho but that's not open on lunch um, which is fantastic in the city. And then, and then, you know, the quintessential hike of going and climbing uh, Mount Tam, which has the most wonderful views of the Bay Area and is quite close to where I live these days. So, um, I think he had a pretty good trip. So next time I'm in LA, I'm going to, I'm going to hit up, hit up for a range to, uh, reciprocate, shall we say? Yeah, absolutely. Cause that dude is, uh, he knows all the spots and actually anything along the 599 corridor. I saw you the other day going up and down with a car or some sort of car at a racetrack. And then shortly thereafter on your Instagram stories, finding these places in like the middle of nowhere off of 99, uh, like Madeira in California and Atwater and places like that. So he's your guy for, for California and central California knowledge and car porn. So Chris uh, Ratcliffe, I know that you're a, a big car guy. So, have a look as well. He likes cars, not into sort of you know Hemi's and stuff like that. Not not. Big. Yeah, no, these are these are, are real cars. <laughs> uh, but no, thank <laughs> you for everybody um, that that gets in touch with us and has commented in the past. There's a ton of you, and and thank you because you uh, have have kept our mouths watering while we've been away. And actually, you you posted. I assume it was you. It wasn't me, but it was on the Mastication Nation account. <laughs> you posted some controversy. I- Back yeah, a couple of months ago. Not necessarily con. Yeah, not necessarily controversy. I realized that uh, I thought we were like only a few weeks from recording again. I was just trying to do some filler content, and then it turned into a lot longer than that. So I apologize. <laughs> um, and I was sitting at <clears throat> Lane Splitters Pizza in Berkeley, California, when near my old neighborhood, and uh, they have a very nice outdoor back garden, and there's a lot of young families with kids. I'm sitting there having a slice of pizza, or just a beer, we're going out to dinner afterwards, and I saw this family rock up, and there was a bunch of them, and they made their order, and they were like, hey, can we get one pepperoni pizza, and then one cheese pizza, party style? I'm like, what the hell is party style? And so, I uh, sorry, party cut style, sorry. And so I looked it up, and I was so offended that I had to put it onto, uh, onto Twitter for everybody's feedback. So for those who don't know... Party cut is rather than cutting it into triangles, which makes sense for a circle, uh, you cut it into squares and not like like Roman style squares where it's like thick and on on like the well, which is also bread. cooked in a rectangle as well. Exactly, this is cooked in a circle and it's normal like floppy, you know, kind of West Coasty pizza, um, and then cut into rough geometric shapes and i guess it's so that the kids can have more like they can't knock out an entire piece but the crust to everything else ratio and like cheese fingers i I don't know it just i put it out there and i got quite a lot of feedback uh from nick underscore i he said as a new yorker i have not heard of this so i deem it sacrilegious love the podcast by the way uh i so i i took a you know, I sent a photo out so everyone can see, and I said, thanks. As a New Yorker, your word is gospel. I will say that. <laughs> I like New York style over over Italian style. Uh, Joel actually popped up and said, it depends on the shape of the pizza. Those rectangle uh, Italian pizzas, that's the only way to cut them, which, you know, we, we alluded to as uh, if it is, you know, made square, it makes sense. But mm. for a circle, not so much. And then we had Huff at B underscore Ran 09. That don't fly in New York. That's some Connecticut shit right there. Eight slices or bust. 
which I never really thought about. But yeah, I guess you, regardless of the size of the pizza, you can always cut it into eight equal slices. Uh, and then Nick, I drumming back in. Apparently, party cut is a Chicago Midwestern thing. So that is yes. so wrong. It is a Chicago style thing. And did you do your analysis and find out that it was? So I did do my research, my analysis. Okay. And uh, as we, as Joel mentioned, pizza al taglio uh, is literally by the cut, by the slice, and that's where you get it. And but it, that Roman pizza is, is cooked in rectangles. The Chicago illusion is is spot on. It's actually a Midwest thing. Everybody thinks of, of Chicago pizza as this sort of pie, this literal pie, this deep dish we talked about in the in the P episode. But there's this thin crust style of pizza that actually is you can find pretty much anywhere in the Midwest that's really, really, really thin crust. Like mm-hmm. to be actually be almost be like a cracker, like crunchy. Sure. Um and then it's cut into squares, which they is is, is com- sometimes called party cut, but is also sometimes referred to as tavern style. Yeah, and then because there is pub pizza as well, which has that cracker crust, but is is cooked in a cast iron skillet, but it's thicker, but has that cracker crust. There are so many names for pizza in the U.S. or varieties. I, of pizza. I think um, I I'm not a purist in this area, so I don't really care. I would just be disappointed, frankly, because I love crust. Yeah, so I would, yeah, I think I would this is the yeah. aggrieved. Pizza equivalent of having your crust cut off your sandwiches. So it's fine up until the age of probably 12. And after that, I'm going to... But it does... I mean, I see the value. If you've got a ton of people and it's just the nibbles thing and, you know, uh, you can turn eight slices into 30 pieces of pizza. So I can Mm kind of... I can kind of get that. And, you know, if you're going to a a pizza joint... And it seems a bit of a waste, but if you're just if it's just there uh, as a something to soak up the beer. Mm-hmm. Speaking of beer, yes, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking Diet Coke, and I'll tell you why. Yes, uh, do tell us I, why. <laughs> we were talking about this offline. Uh, I was saying I'm at the age where I don't know if I feel hungover or just old uh, because I was at uh, a baby metal concert last night, which was outrageously fun. So for those who yeah those who don't know who Baby Metal are, go check them out. They're a combination of uh, J-pop and some of the best metal musicians I've ever seen in my life. They were the, the musician guys were session musicians who just had no frontman, and and they teamed up with these uh, J-pop girls. And you think it's going to be weird, not fun, or just you know kind of an assault on the ears. But it's so good. And what I loved about the concert last night is that you I I didn't know what the audience was going to be like. And it was 90% like proper, like, you know, metalheads wearing like, you know, denim and patches and stuff like that. And then the other 10% were their kids, which I thought was so much fun. They're all wearing their hair protective headgear and stuff like that. But it's a great entry level, uh, you know, to to metal because taking a 12-year-old, no, less than that, there was seven year olds there, to, wow. anthra- to anthrax might be a little intense. <laughs> so, wow. uh Taking them to to baby metal, I think, is a, is, a, is a good way to start. Yeah, I I love them. We first discovered them when we were trying to find the soundtrack for our very first Tokyo episode uh, for Attaché. And although we couldn't use them in the episode, I've been a fan of them ever since. And their their live shows that I've seen on YouTube look amazing. So I'm very jealous that you were able to go one. Yeah, I went with Ke- our good friend Keith, and uh, he found out that they were performing up in Sacramento in a couple, like a week and a half. He was like, I'm thinking about going. And then he texted me this morning and goes, ah, it's a festival. And I don't know if I want to spend 150 bucks to see the one band I want to see. But, no. you know, there are people that follow them around. And, uh, yeah, so I'm drinking Diet Coke because I need to get rehydrated uh, at a couple of beverages last night. And uh, I think it's more that I was dehydrated from being up past 11. You know, I think that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, welcome to adulthood. Exactly. Uh, what are you drinking? I am still not drinking. Uh, mm-hmm. So I have been doing the rounds on the old non-alcoholic beers. I have discovered a few very, very good ones. And I like to do the PSA of what's good and what's not good. There there are now so many good non-alcoholic beers because we we brew them. We I don't do them. I don't do anything. But the breweries brew a beer as they would like it. And then they use reverse osmosis to re- to remove the alcohol massively oversimplifying that but that's why we can have 
non-alcoholic beers that actually taste like something. So Craig McCormick, get on it, please. <laughs> make a Glen Affric non-alcoholic beer. I know I'm oversimplifying the process, but you make such great beers that it would be good to have a non-alcoholic one. Um, because of the wonderful Pan Mass Challenge that we, uh, we all did, uh, I discovered Athletic Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. out of connecticut and they were one of the beer sponsors of the pmc and actually when i arrived in boston you had got them by accident not by accident so again yeah thank you to everybody who donated uh to the pmc it's wonderful uh that you all did um i got there a couple of like 24 hours before you did um and we needed to get some beer for pre and post uh, the ride and and there's a little liquor store in in the town that we were staying in where my in-laws live and we were getting regular beer and then I sort of like you know this is small town Massachusetts and I was like hey um do you have any non-alcoholic beer expecting to get shown the door and he goes yeah actually there's an entire cooler in the second in the other room and as I walk over there and it's all um your classic uh it was more just that more than just non-alcoholic there was like no gluten beer like omission uh and a couple other ones and so i was looking up and down it and i saw uh it's athletic right yeah name of it yeah so i saw them and they had about two or three different varieties and they were like yeah we actually just got just got a hold of these guys a few months ago uh they're you know really interesting you know company out of, out of connecticut and i didn't know anything about them i didn't the guy didn't even recommend them to me he just gave me that opinion when i went up to the to the register their can design is what caught me and it's really really um you know i'm a, I'm a sucker for a good bottle design or good can design and we took them back and alex was like oh you had already heard of them right at that point or were you just like oh no this is really good no, I'd, I'd heard about them. I my, my son was in hospital for most of the summer, so I spent a lot of time reading uh, severely outdated magazines. And one of them was like outdoor or outside or one of the nature magazines. It makes me feel yeah. terrible about myself. And uh, it had it. It had it in there. And I thought, oh, good, I have to find that. And then I couldn't find it anywhere on the West Coast. And then I walked into the door uh, at your in-law's house, and there it was. And... It was really freaking good. It, it really was so is. good. And at the end of the PMC, the Pan Mass Challenge, I they had a tent, and I told my my father in law and your father in law and our father to have one. And everybody agreed they were great. I ordered a case of them when uh, I got back to California. They're very very good. Anyway, my apologies for digressing. I am drinking a free dam. I'm going to crack it open right now, which is made by Dam, D-A-M-M, who make mm-hmm. – uh, they're probably the most famous beer is Australia, the beer, not the country. I was about to say, that sounds like a place down under. Yeah. It's a, in a Spanish beer okay. and uh, – Oh, yes. No, I know them. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a yeah. tapas place in Berkeley that only sells that stuff. Very good. Very good. Very good lager beer. Uh, this is a, 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 a non-alcoholic lager beer. Very good. Brewdog are smashing it with theirs. They've got two or three non-alcoholic beers that are excellent. So it's a good time to, especially since we're in Stoptober or go sober for October, depending on where you are, good time to discover some non-alcoholic beers. Yeah, and I think that's something that I realized as well. And uh, my our mother has been staying with me for a couple of days, and we were talking about it because, you know, we like a six o'clock drink. Um, she was talking about how she has found non-alcoholic Prosecco, uh, which is not terrible. <laughs> some of it's not uh, I I had some recently, and it tasted like anus. It was horrendous. <laughs> it was well, like ultra-sweet uh, elderflower. Well, that's what she said. She said a couple of the ones that she had, and, and mom hates sweet wines, only drinks that's, you know, the driest of the dry that can peel paint off walls. Um, she said that a couple of them were really, really bad, but she found one that she thought was quite good. So maybe you didn't try that one or she just is coming around to the sweet, the sweet fake, uh, fake Prosecco, but it's, it's a trend and I've had the athletic and I've had a couple other ones. I, it's, it's so good that I don't miss, uh, the alcohol. Um, and I think it's funny that we're talking about this because later on in the episode, we're talking about something else, which is, it's so good. I don't miss X. Um, and it's kind of funny. I was, went to go get some beer the other day and I was just, I ran into the store and grabbed, um, 
Lagunitas, uh, no, it wasn't Lagunitas. Uh, no, yeah, it was Lagunitas. It was Lagunitas, um, it's like brown sugar or something like that. Um, it's got a dog on the bottle and I was like, oh, okay, it's nail. So I grabbed it and I was drinking one last weekend and I was like, why do I feel kind of funny? And I look at the, t- the, the bottle and it's 10% alcohol. I, uh, and, I don't like that trend. It's getting kind of silly. But this is the thing is that well, the fuzz is going by the window. Sorry about that. Um, Soon that the, will be the cries of babies. Yes. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say is that one of the other reasons that uh, Alex and I have been recording is Alex says, unfortunately, we're spending a lot of time with his kids in the hospital. Uh, we're having a baby. And that's why we're, yeah. you know, not spending so much time uh, recording. And uh, my wife is six and a half months pregnant. So, you know, we'll let and everybody girl, know. Right? And, a, a and a girl. And a girl. Baby Greg. Baby Greg. <laughs> oh, that's that nickname is going to stick for her and she's going to hate it will. for it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. She'll hate but, Greg uh, for it. She'll hate Greg for it. Yeah. Because aspirational figures and all that lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, 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 the 10% beer, um, it's the opposite of the no alcohol beer because I didn't realize it didn't taste strong. And therefore, by flipping it, if you don't, if you have a beer that doesn't taste weak, then it doesn't matter. So I'd rather have something that didn't taste weak and didn't get me messed up on one beer as opposed to one that does and kills my liver. So, uh, you know, I think for every, I, I think for every three beers I have, a non-alcoholic beer is a, is like you know my new water. Uh, yeah, it was my fortieth birthday this summer and. Uh, everybody knows I spend my summers in California, and you'd think it would be easier for us to record when we're in the same time zone, but that never ends up being the case. My wife surprised me and flew a bunch of my friends in from all over the world, and quite a, a few of them were from the UK. Ergo, quite a lot of drinking took place. Um, <laughs> and actually, a lot of them did uh, have a non-alcoholic beer as their kind of quote-unquote water after every third beer or something like that and most of them are still alive so that's good i think it was a good strategy yeah i think that i mean first of all it was a fantastic time and everyone um survived i i do i always wonder about british people when they come over to the u.s and think that american beer is still bud and coors and you know miller light and think that they need to drink three times the amount to get drunk because american beer is now a good but really strong at the same time luckily no one ended up in the drunk tank and nobody ended up in the er so that's a sign of a good 40th birthday yeah i think uh all's well that ends well so thank you to everybody that came out for that and of course to my wife for putting it together but yeah um that's you know with with your um impending arrival and my kids deciding to to test out the American healthcare system and my 40th birthday. It was a very, very busy summer and we hardly recorded layovers at all. So, uh, I didn't film attache. So it's been, uh, it's been a heck of a, a heck of a summer for everybody, which is why it's taken us until the 5th of October to actually get around to calling, uh, a new episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I keep on thinking, oh yeah, we'll get to it next week. And then three weeks later happened and yeah. you were traveling within the, the, uh, greater North Americas. Uh, and I was trying not to, um, although I do fly to Denver for a week starting, uh, on Monday and I'm kind of worried the weather goes from 78 degrees down to a low of 23 degrees. <laughs> so space about four days. So, uh, wow. kind of freaking out about that. So I'll need to pack appropriately. <laughs> But I guess, like for the sake of uh, sake of old habits, um, do you have a best thing you've eaten recently, or do you want to hit on a couple? Uh, I there's one that I think is the most uh, noteworthy, but there's a few. I, yeah, I, I I've been doing a little bit of traveling here and there, and I think I've been to Mexico City not once, not twice, but thrice this uh, this year, and I'm falling in love with that city more and more. I've eaten incredible food. It's my favorite food city. You can eat super well at a quote-unquote fine dining establishment for nothing. But, of course, the street food there is unparalleled. So I've been eating. I'm going again in uh, a week uh, where I will continue my sojourn of eating. But I went at my sister-in-law Darlene's recommendation. 
Oh, I know what you're going to talk about. Go ahead. She, um, my sister-in-law knows me and she sends me messages (laughs) every now and then with these, um, food porn. It's food porn. And she's, (laughs) there's this place in the Bay area. It's a pop-up called man versus fries. And I'd been wanting to do it forever. And I was so excited that I, I actually, I ordered it. They have a kind of pop-up inside a otherwise benign taqueria in, in Livermore. I think there's one in Oakland as well. Anyway, they have this thing called standby. Okay. So they have a bunch of different things, but my, what we ordered was the Asada fries. So you get French fries, and you can pick between curly fries, straight fries, or waffle fries. And you pick your meat. It's either carne asada or pollo asado or vegetarian, grilled vegetables, which is fine. And then you pick your style. Do you want NorCal, which is cheese, sour cream, guacamole, and a secret sauce? Or SoCal, which is cheese, sour cream, guacamole, cilantro, grilled onions, grilled jalapeno, and a secret sauce? We went SoCal. And then... Uh, so it's just this massive, all kinds of everything I just described, and then on top of it, they add flaming hot Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> it was fan freaking tastic. It was so good. It was one of those things that you order once a year, lest you die. But it was so flavorful and so good. Uh, they also we also got a thing called a Heladia which is a hella big 13-inch flour tortilla, hella cheese, hella meat, hella straight-cut fries, and hella sour cream, guacamole, spiked ranch, and queso. If you're not from the, from Northern California, hella means... Um, In England, it would be wicked. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, or very. Yes. But... <laughs> which is or lots of in this instance oh sorry yeah no in Bo- in boston it's wicked in, in england that means something else so it's like something is wicked awesome or wicked big that's yeah. boston as opposed he- to english like, uh, hella cool hella yeah. big hella far very yeah uh it, but it's it's been turned into mean very as well or lots of or or, or any other things anyway uh it's basically what i described but in quesadilla form and then the other thing we had was this uh other quesadilla which was actually really uh fresh and uh well put together called a cali crunch and it was again a 13 inch flour tortilla you picked what you wanted but it had lettuce tomato cheese cilantro guacamole ranch uh and it was it was really really good i ate a lot of really good food over the summer but that was by far the most fun I've yet to go, even though it's in the city or what does Livermore count as? It's a city um, that I was born in. Um, I also want to point out that even though you think, holy crap, how are you eating all this stuff? Alex is like three pounds away from his high school weight, which is really pissing me off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, don't deny it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the amount of uh, the amount of cycling done over the summer is, you know, one of those things. A uh, friend of the family, uh, Matt Lay, who is a college professor in in, uh, in Boise, Idaho, um, he was a long-distance sort of ultramarathon kind of guy. And I remember talking to him one time, and he was like, yeah, the only reason I do it is so that I can eat whatever I want. And so you got to get that balance right. You can't eat this stuff and then go sit in, fr- in front of the TV and watch Simpsons all day. No. That's where I seem to be falling down. <laughs> <laughs> that last part. Just if I can change that last part, I'm good. But I think uh, my my best thing I ate, there's a couple of them, but um, one of them is following on from the Mexican theme. It's also something, uh, uh, you know, of south of the border. And it's this place called Maya Taqueria in um, Point Richmond, which is just up the street from us, which is this quaint little old, uh, I'm not sure if it was, an, it was a, where a lot of the uh, builders from the industrial area of the ports here used to live, but it's a very nice, quaint little town through the tunnel, very protected, and it's got lots of little nice little restaurants. And it's also where my rugby pub is, with the rugby world cup going on. Um, and then, then right next door to it is this hole in the wall uh, Mexican joint, taco joint, and we just stumbled upon it a few weeks ago, and it was phenomenal. We got, uh, I got two. Car, uh, what did I get? Carnitas tacos, and they and I saw as I was like walking out, holy crap, they have El Pastor, and so I had to go back and try one, and it was awesome. It's really basic. It's you know your small street tacos with the meat, 
uh, some cilantro and onions, and that is it. And then you can put your own salsa on it. Really simple, really easy, and super, super cheap. Um, that's a bit of a trend that's going on in California where, you know, even Mexican food can get really expensive. Um, but these guys, you know, I think you're looking at like a couple bucks a taco, um, which is really worth it for what you get. Uh, and I've been back twice since discovering it. So it is awesome. Wow. Uh, the, yeah, you yeah. see the pictures and it looked, they looked amazing. Yeah, yeah. And they, and I don't, I, I, the second time I was back there, I was waiting for my food and, uh, someone just ordered a side of rice and I was like, that's a bit weird. And then the other day I had a burrito from there and my wife was asking me compared to our other favorite place, La Mission uh, in Berkeley, how it's compared. And I was like, I actually think I like this one better for what it is because the rice is so much better. Like a lot of the times rice in Mexican food, um, you know, it's just, you know, in burritos, it's just there to make up the, make up the numbers. But um, this one was that orange, you know, seasoned rice that you often get on plates mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> in the mix, in the burrito. And it just, it was a game changer. It was all, it wasn't mushy. It was all individual fluffy pieces of rice. And it was just slightly different enough to be like, actually, I think this might be my new favorite burrito. So, you know, I need to knock down the lamb burrito from, from La Mission, just a, just a little down to number two. I need to try that lamb burrito. I do love a good lamb burrito. It really is. Next time you're back and we go to Berkeley, I'll, I'll take you. Um, and But the other thing was something that you got me, and it's probably the most traveled uh, snack I've ever had. So we met in Toronto few, like back in June-ish, um, and we talked about that ad nauseum in the last episode. But one of the things Alex had brought me was biltong from – his trip to South Africa. So, <laughs> I the, this, that. so I arrive in, in Toronto and there's like uh Dovos, which is the um, dried sausage, uh, a whole thing of, uh, you know, side of like the proper biltong, uh, you know, you cut your own slices off and then some, some Cape Malay Bobochi spice, uh, which I have in the, in the kitchen. Um, but you t- remind me the, the route that this went, you got it in Johannesburg airport, right? Um, I got it in, Johannesburg Airport. Yes, and then I flew down to George in South Africa because um, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. How, I had a long connection between London, uh, between London and George in Joburg, so I did my shopping then. Joburg to George's domestic, and then when I and then I went George, Joburg, London, JFK, Toronto, and then you took it back to California. Yeah, so this was – and at each one of those stops internationally, either one of us could have been pulled off to customs and, you know, <laughs> had the the uh, the, the uh, nylon glove treatment or the – you know, it's uh, not something that you should be properly I, – I don't know the exact rules, but you would think that dried meat is something that you're not supposed to be bringing across uh, international borders without some sort of declaration. <laughs> well, there we are. The deed has been done. Yeah, I mean, the Dovos, I took them to work, and I have a South African co-worker who was losing his mind. Uh, the Dovos, you know, I I lived in South Africa for quite a while, and I never really got into the normal biltong until I was a little older, and comparing it to jerky, it's just so much better. But the Dovos for me is just where it's at. It's like, it's got slightly of a crumblier, meatier texture than just, um, than just like the dried pieces of petrified wood that is normal biltong. Um, and we, and I would put it in, I would cut it up every morning and put it in the middle of the office and by like 1030, it'd be gone. Um, <laughs> and I just finished the massive side of, of Biltong about two days ago at work. Um, because I think that the sodium levels would just be too high otherwise. So yeah. <laughs> so those, those are the two things I like, you know, I think I, I thought about the most since we recorded, I'm sure there's other stuff I haven't thought about since then, but will come to me. Um, and yeah, I think we did this last year where we talked about our summer of eating, and that was sort of more of a self-imposed time off. This is more just, as Alex mentioned, uh, finding the time to record. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 just been uh, it's been difficult, but it means that we've uh, been able to do lots of other things and eat lots of wonderful food and. Read lots of wonderful books and all of that. In theory, I have three kids, so it never really works out that way. But you know, <laughs> there we are. In theory, one of them is hypothetical. One of them is hypothetical, but I do, I do 
whenever I go to uh, California, I do go to the big bookstores and small bookstores and everything in between. And I look at the cookbooks just to see if there's anything I'm missing out. And I know that you and I, I can't remember if it was a real conversation or a virtual conversation. It was virtual. It was virtual. The reason I remember this is because I was looking through my, my photos on my phone to t- think about, I, I take photos of all my food. Basically I'm that guy. Uh, so I wanted to know what I was going to talk about. It was my favorite thing. And I saw what you're about to mention. Yeah, I can't remember even uh, what the what the context of the conversation was, but it was basically what's your go to cookbook, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. I I think you were just looking at what would what f- you couldn't get back in England or what wouldn't travel very well, uh, and that you might be able to learn something new, learn something different. Mm-hmm. And the the text message, I'm just trying to pull it up now. So give me a second. Uh, yeah, you said that you wanted to see what cookbooks I use the most, and we always talk about what what our favorite cookbooks are. And I think we the consensus we both came to is that you know Kenji's the Food Lab is sort of where we're first looking for anything goes. Like, oh, I want to make X. Let's see if Kenji mentions it in his book, and then from there we spin off on variations in into other into other you know culinary books or or blogs or podcasts or whatever it might be and you were like what is the one that you use the most and so i sent you back a photo and you were like really i'm shocked by that and it's uh, a jamie oliver book actually and it's uh his is jamie's dinners and so i think it's like 15 years old um because everybody looks really really young in the photos and I, i i was thinking about this the other day because they were doing a retrospective on jamie on BBC Radio 4, just given the whole, you know, collapse of his restaurant empire, which we won't go into too much, but it seems like he didn't have much to do with the day-to-day running once it started imploding. And he put, I think he said he put 10 million of his own money into it to try and keep everyone afloat. Um, but yeah, kind of crazy, but they were sort of like reviewing it all in his, in his like sort of impact on the British culinary world. And I was going back and sort of thinking about who got me into cooking in the kitchen. We talked about Bourdain being an inspiration more for like wanderlust than just appreciating food at a wherever you have it. The actual cooking for me came down actually to Jamie Oliver at like 17 and then Alton Brown at like 21. And because everything he did was just so easy. And the biggest point that Radio 4 was trying to make across about this was he was the first one to actually say to men, don't be assholes. Actually learn how to cook. Don't yeah. expect it of anybody else. Don't think it's a treat that you're doing it for somebody else. This is something everybody should learn how to do, and it's easy. Here's some recipes why. And his his uh, Jamie's Dinner one is just one I go back to over and over and over again. That's interesting. Yeah, I was surprised, but I must have at least five Jamie Oliver books on my bookshelf. And I do, if I'm, if I'm trying to do something quote unquote classic and certainly classic British, him and Nigella Lawson are the people I reach for immediately. Yeah. Uh, especially Nigella. Uh, I love Nigella Lawson on just about every level that is possible to love a human being. Um, but Jamie Oliver was first introduced to me because my godfather is his publisher. Uh, and I got a book, Signed by Jamie Oliver, we got one for our um, for our wedding present. So that was how I first learned about him. And the one I actually use the most. There's two actually. I should I lie. There's the 30 minute meals one is really great for quick time saving hacks. On you know if you do this, you'll get 80 percent of the flavor, but it'll take you 40 percent of the time. And I don't ever do all three courses like he does, but some of the mains, it's it's really, really good. If I've just, you know, I don't have that many ingredients in the uh, uh, cabinet or the fridge. And then he did one called Comfort Food, which I make the cornbread out of that every single year for Thanksgiving. It's had like a jalapeno cornbread. There's so many, I mean, there are a lot more involved, but they're such great recipes. I, I'm a huge fan of Jamie Oliver. I think he's had... A rough old go of it. People really slap him down unnecessarily because he's 
positive and he wants people to eat well and cook for themselves, which seems like really crappy reasons to smack a guy down. So I'm, I'm a big fan of him. I want him to do well. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. And like I was just looking at the, the my cookbook right now and you hit the nail on the head. It's not that you're going to get um, the best flavors you've ever experienced in your life for a specific dish with some of those sort of this quick and easy books that he has or the dinner books or the comfort food, whatever it might be. Um, but he's getting you almost there. And so whenever I want something quintessentially British, I – look at his um like there's his chicken tikka masala uh recipe in here which is my go-to one and i don't need to you know grind my own gar masala like other ones demand that i do because i don't have the time and you know whatever else it might be and it hits the spot and whenever i'm missing home or it, you know uh, a good cousin uh i i will turn to him and then the other one is he is the in, in this cookbook specifically uh, is my everyone should have a go-to roast chicken recipe that you, no matter where you are in the world you can make um and his in this book is the one for me it's a one tray potatoes on the bottom already cooked chorizo and parsley uh, roast chicken and it's super easy it takes 20 minutes to prep or even less than that and then you throw it in your oven and you're done and yeah. th- that's easy so that that's i don't want easy to be considered or sorry i don't want easy to be considered basic because it's not basic it's simple and easy and gets you what you want that's that's the best way i can describe it yeah no i i i love him i think he's He's got good stuff. Uh, I don't consume any of his um, online content or TV content. I used to watch The Naked Chef when it was on okay, 15, God, maybe even longer than that, 19, 20 years ago. 1997, I think. Was I, yeah. Um, I used to watch it when we were living in America, so it uh, would have been 2000 onwards for me. But um, I, lo- I liked that um, a lot. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of his. The other one that I – if I need uh, a side especially and I'm trying – like I'm grilling something and I've got people coming over and I want a side that's not stodge or really boring, yep. I always reach for my um, Yotam Ottolenghi books. I knew you were going to say that and I, 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 I 100% agree. Uh, I, I, the, especially the Jerusalem one mainly because I love Middle Eastern food and this is you know archetypally Middle Eastern food. Um, and it, they're always, all the recipes are fresh and crisp and beautiful and colorful. And the ingredients bar one or two are almost in very, very easy to get. Uh, and I've never been able to screw up one of his recipes. Yeah. Cause it's sort of like, oh, if this happens, don't worry. It's- exactly. Exactly. I, th- that's one of the things that. I think French cooking scares the crap out of people because they're like, if you do not do this exactly right and if you do not reduce it for 37 seconds while facing, you know, you know, the Virgin Mary or whatever it might be, it's going to break. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, I can't deal, deal with that. And that's why I find most of the cookbooks I have in this in this house, nine times out of ten, it's not something super involved or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, complex. Uh, and to, to to be clear, audience members and listeners and whoever is tuning into this fine podcast, um, we are in episode Z, and I just want to make sure that we're not actually doing anything Z related. It, you know, this is the end of the alphabet, and so we're sort of sort of catching up on all the things that we may have alluded to or missed off on um, in, in previous episodes, and sort of just rounding out the alphabet. So if you're looking at like, when are they going to talk about like? Sitar. I'm like, we're not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, but Yotamoka, uh, uh, I can never pronounce his last name, Otolengi, sorry. Um, I always get it mixed up with Otamendi, who's the uh, the, the defender for what Man was City, that? Isn't it? Yeah, Man City. Um, he's, he's started to really pop in the US. I know he's been big in England for a while now, but I think the last couple of years now, especially in San Francisco, you can say his name and everyone sort of goes, oh, the salad guy, right? And it's like, kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, he does make a lot of salads. <laughs> and they're beautiful. I'm just looking at the book now. There's there's all kinds of stuff. But I, yeah, I I think it's a, his stuff is fantastic. I'm a big fan of his. Yeah. And then the other book I had was um, the Epicurious Cookbook, um, which it's kind of a, a combination of, of professionals and other bloggers who've been combined into a cookbook and i mark all my favorite recipes and stuff like that and 
to, just for a quick, you know, referral. And I think that what's good about this is that Epicurious, for whatever you think about them, do get everything sort of, I don't want to say it's like the Rotten Tomatoes of, of cooking because Rotten Tomatoes is somewhat controversial these days. Um, but it's trial by jury and things that are good from people that know how to cook things rise to the top generally. Um, and I've never been steered wrong with the things that I like on there. I mean, obviously I don't cook things I don't like, so I couldn't tell you if their flan's good because I can't stand flan. Um, but their, their, their roasts are really good. They've got a fantastic turkey recipe in there. Um, some great, uh, pasta recipes. Um, and that's sort of what inspired me to know what the rules were to try off, try things with, with uh, with pasta, I mean, I do a I do a, a langoustine uh, pasta with lemon and, and parsley, and I never would have thought about doing anything shellfish related in pasta beyond you know shrimp or or maybe mussels, and this sort of gave me the encouragement to try things out. And, and you know, you you can't screw up good pasta. I mean, you can't screw up pasta if there's things in it that you like. I guess that's the the, the yeah, point. Of no, it. I think I think that's spot on. Yeah. So yeah, if you have any cookbooks that you either had had from your entire childhood or life as a, as a home cook or that you have found while listening to the podcast, uh, let us know what you're using, what your favorites are. I'm always interested to see the – especially between the US, the UK, Canada, Australia, sort of ones that share a common language, what pops in each of those different countries. Um, like I said, Yotam had Yotam Altalengi wasn't big here and now he is. Um, but I wanted to, to tag back on something we talked about earlier, which was the non-alcoholic uh, beer and how uh, the sort of non-food theme is becoming more and more popular. So has fake meat really taken off in England yet? Mm, yeah, in, in, in a way, Greg's have started selling a vegan sausage roll, which sold out in hours. And Pierce so, Morgan had an aneurysm. Yep, Pierce Morgan lost his mind. So yes, it's getting there. So I know that there has been these things like uh, you know uh, soy be like bean patties and weird whatever's fake meats for a long time, but they've never been good and nobody wants to eat them. And there's one company here called Morningstar, which just reminds me of the devil. I think his nickname, one of the names in the Bible for the devil is the Morningstar. <laughs> so like you're literally marketing it really poorly. Um, but as I'm sure if you any of you have been reading the papers or uh, are anyway interested in sort of where the world is going with with meat, the two big names in the space right now are Impossible and uh, Beyond. And those are the two sort of warring factions that are happening right now in the U.S. And I thought it'd be kind of interesting to talk through these guys a little bit because uh, the the uh, stakes just got ratcheted up exponentially over the last six months. So I'm sure you're familiar with them. I know like you've talked about having an Impossible Burger uh, when you were last in the U.S. and you thought it was fantastic and you even put um, cheese and bacon on it on your fake meat burger. Um, and I was reading an article saying that basically in 2019, um, economists believe this is a $140 billion opportunity for the fake meat uh, world. And the only two true... Uh, contenders really do seem to be beyond, beyond and impossible. And so I did a little bit of research on the two differences. Um, the main ones are that beyond is made with pea protein and impossible is made with soy protein. Um, and they're the ones that look both, both of these look very like meat when they're raw and have a very sort of similar texture when cooked. Um, the reason that everybody thinks impossible might be the better one is because of using soy. It has, uh, soy legmoglobin. I can't even say that. Uh, megaloglobin. Yes, which is I, I, when I see that word, I think of hemoglobin, which I th should because it's what actually makes the patties bleed in a sort of classic burger way. And Beyond Burgers do not have that. Only Impossible Burgers do. And so I know that you had one, and you 
bit into it and it was like medium rare in the middle and had that sort of like nice juiciness beetroot, to it. Yeah. Well, no, apparently it's not beetroot. It's it's this the soy stuff that makes it. I thought I thought it was some kind of beetroot, but maybe maybe they were just being facetious. Well, I think it's because the Washington Post article I was reading had to do a correction because it said in an earlier edition of this article we mentioned that it uses beet and that is not the case. It may use beet in it, but not to make it bleed. This uh, soy <laughs> protein makes it bleed. Um, but the reason that these are both in the news is because the big boys of the uh, fast food world have gotten involved um, in, a, in a really big way. And I know that when we were at your birthday, uh, we were at the First Street Ale House in Livermore, California, where you had had an Impossible Burger on a previous trip. And it was still on the menu, but you couldn't get it. And the waitress was like, oh, yeah, since Burger King has launched the Impossible Whopper, they cannot grow it fast enough, and there's not enough uh, supply to go around. Isn't that insane? That is insane. Yeah. And so uh, Burger King stepped up full court press on this, and rather than just like – they probably did test in a few places, but you can get Impossible Burgers at any uh, Burger King that you are likely to stumble across. And it's now number three. You know, when you do your combo orders, it's like number three. You say, oh, I'll have number three with fries or whatever it might be. Um, and it seems to be killing it. The ads are doing really well and everybody seems to be believing it. And whilst, uh, you know, McDonald's and, and Ronald doesn't want to be left behind, they've hitched their wagon to the beyond side of this and are testing the PLT in Canada right now. <laughs> the PLT. It's so dumb. Like, uh, like, why don't you just call it the Beyond Big Mac rather than the plant lettuce and tomato? Yeah. Like, it's uh, – um, I've never had a Beyond Burger. I've only ever had an Impossible. Um, but I've never had I've Beyond either. They're, oh, they're, they're, they're pre- I've heard they're pretty good. And they IPO'd about yeah, uh, six yeah. months ago. It's pretty amazing, really. And you know what? Great. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard to be to begrudge it. Yeah, no. And I, I guess that was sort of my, my main point for this is like with the beer, it's not for <laughs> – Non-alcoholic beer is not for recovering alcoholics, or it's not for people that don't like to get like to get drunk. I think their main market is for people who want to not always to have the alcoholic beer. That's the market. And the reason I bring that up with the fake meat is that everyone's like, "Oh, it's for vegans or vegetarians." Like, no, it's it's not. It's for people who are meat eaters who want to cut down on on their on their meat. They did a study in, on on Impossible Burger, and they said that the majority of people that are buying it were aware of the impact of um, livestock farming on the environment, as well as the the uh, implications for their health. But it's not being marketed as vegetarian or vegan, even though the press sort of kind of picking up on that. And they're like, no, actually, we kind of want you to do a impossible burger with american cheese on it like you're not crossing the streams here this is actually no. the whole point of it is to be a little bit more um you know only eat red meat once or twice a week and use an impossible burger the other times and i i, I guess that's the sort of like the the para- paradigm shift that needs to happen this is not vegan food or vegetarian food this is just food that doesn't doesn't seem to happen to be made from animal product Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm really interested to see where it goes over the next, uh, you know, 18 months, two years. I think we need another summer out of our system to see how it goes. And I, I had a friend invest with Beyond right as they IPO'd, um, or it, yeah, it bought some shares over there. And I said, you know, you're going to see a pop right after the IPO, and then it's going to pop again around the middle of the summer, and then it's going to stop dropping off again. And that's literally what has happened. Um, because everyone was like, oh, I'll throw a couple of these on the barbecue, see what happens over the summer. Um, I think we need to see another summer to see whether or not, uh, you know, the, the upward trajectory can survive the cold winter months when nobody is going to be grilling. Yeah. Yeah. I think because it's hit or turned this, what's the word I'm looking for? Because it's created this arms race with the major fast food chains, I think it's, it's just put the whole thing, you know, it, it, it's catapulted the idea into the zeitgeist mm-hmm. overnight almost. And 
you know, this is not going to go away. I don't think. Yeah, uh, you- because we it's taken what forty years to come up with a decent vegetable protein or non meat burger. Yep. Uh, I'm more skeptical about the you know the steaks and the sausages and stuff like that, but the burger I am com- wholly convinced on. The I, I agree. I think you know that, and maybe even in what's it called, like lasagna, you're not going to notice it enough to be different. The the actually, I think the biggest challenger on whether or not this is going to be successful or not, in typical American fashion, are going to be lobbyists. Um, there are already mm-hmm. multiple um, court cases working their way through lower court courts in a number of different states about um, uh, cattle lobbyists. Um, Claiming that they have to like uh, note these things to death when they're on 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 the packaging, being like this is not meat, you know, not a substitute, blah 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 blah. You know, they're really scared about what this is going to do to the American cattle in- industry. So there's even one saying that that, that um, and it was somewhere random, like Missouri, uh, that was like these legally should not be allowed to be calling themselves burgers. And I'm like, come on, dude, I get oh, the piss off. I get the meat thing. But not being allowed to call them burgers is a little pedantic, um, and so we'll have to keep an eye on that because if they, if the courts come down and, and like note these guys to death, that then could start curtailing some of the momentum a little bit. Yeah, that would be disappointing. That's America. What are you gonna do? <laughs> if it if it challenges the status quo with their vegan hippie food, you know, we're not gonna get uh, we're not gonna get our money, not gonna get our taxes. I, I actually would be interested to see what how they get classified as far as. Now, are there any specific tariffs they have to pay that meat doesn't or so on and so mm, forth? That's an interesting point, actually. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. But um, I'm really interested to see if this makes it across the pond or if it's already made it to other areas of the world. Um, you know, let's see if, uh, if Little Chef of the M25 starts uh, doing Impossible Burger. I think Little Chef doesn't exist anymore. No, that really dated me. What's 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 the new one? I mean, obviously Greg's. Oh wait, yeah, I don't think it. I don't think it exists anymore. I think uh, it it died like four years ago. Oh, that's sad. Uh, well, Wimpy instead, which is everyone's favorite worst burger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's well and truly dead. Uh, no, I I think it'll I think it'll be fine. I think it will do well. I think. They're doing a lot of Vox Pops commercials for it, and I want to. I want. If you haven't tried one, guys, go out and try one. Try a Impossible Burger if you're, or or a Beyond Burger if you're local. Um, sports bar, which I is where I first had mine, has them, and then go and try McDonald's or or Burger King and tell us what you think. Yeah, and do it like a proper burger. I think the big mistake a lot of people are doing is like. Oh, well, I just want to see if I can tell mm-hmm. the difference. So just, mm. just get a burger with all the fixings on it and eat it that way as opposed to like a plain burger because it's going to taste weird that way. Yeah. No, spot on. Um, and so the last thing I wanted to sort of touch upon was a, 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 a BuzzFeed article I saw. I know. I know. And I and – I, Woke up one more. I woke you. I think you woke up to a text message from me being like, we're going to talk about this BuzzFeed article next time. It <laughs> really pissed me off. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I get annoyed by little things. And so there's a BuzzFeed article that came out in September, which was, uh, let's see what date it was. Um, it came out on September 17th and it's 36 kitchen tools and gadgets you can get on Amazon that people actually swear by. And, this kind of nicely dovetails off of our of our supplies episode from a few months back. And anyone who knows me knows that I enjoy all my cooking utensils, but I hate things that are either unitaskers because of Alton Brown um, or just take up space or can be done with – like there's no reason for it. Like that you can do it with something else. And so I was just looking through this and I was just like, okay, okay, no, no, this is not good. So Alex – would you want a crepe maker in your home? And it, all it does is literally cook crepes. You can't do nope. anything else with it. Stupid. And it's the size of like a drum kit. Uh, so yeah, nope, not going to do I don't do even that. like crepes anyway. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Me neither. Give me a freaking pancake. Um, the, the next one was a, a bread maker, which fine, but it all has its own sort of weird um, – 
uh, you know, you, they, they, they sell you these sort of plastic wrap things that then allows the bread to rise and then you throw it in the oven. I'm like, eh, just no, use a Le Creuset if you want to, or I like my bread maker. Exactly. But it's not a bread maker. This is just a thing that helps the dough rise. Oh yes. Uh, the one that really, really rubbed me the wrong way was, you know, those things that you see usually in France or Switzerland and they've heated up the cheese, um, on the, like it's got a, a wooden handle and then it's got this this rectangle that you put cheese on and then you slide all the cheese off onto like this. Like, yeah, raclette. Yes. They are trying to get people to buy one of those for their home. No. No, no, that, not, not. It's not 1974. Exactly. But the one that, that I think uh, upset me the most was the microwave pasta maker. Mm, it's a that shouldn't be it's literally shouldn't be it's literally a plastic um uh what do you call them um tupperware that you put your your pasta in add water and then microwave so <laughs> that's literally an any, abomination any tupperware that is worth its salt is already uh, uh, microwave safe. So they're probably charging you three times the cost for something that, you know, ugh, it just drove me nuts. And then there was another one, which was, um, a garlic grinder and they, you charge, they charge, you put your garlic in there and you grind it up. Uh, and it's in the shape of Dracula. Funny, but any grinder will do that. You don't need a specific grinder to do that. And, the thing and that you really- don't even really need a grinder, frankly. You just do the Martin Yan slap, Yan can cook yeah. slap with the side of a of a knife. That's and, what I do. And what's funny is that you could tell that the writer of this article was reaching because every like five or six, there's legitimate ones that make sense, like a kettle or an instant pot or um, you know some sort of uh, um, you know, these knives that seem solid. And they're like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And their editor's like, man, these aren't cool. Go find something cool. And then they were like, okay, what about this? A Bob Ross waffle maker. Uh, okay, sure. Why not? Everybody loves happy little clouds and let's make some uh, Bob Ross waffles. So <laughs> I think the point of this article was A, to piss off Will Hunter, but B, uh, anytime we're getting we're getting into the wintertime, we're getting into like sales and Christmas, anytime someone tries to sell you something that's a great thing, think about how many times you'll actually use it after that first time and get over the novelty effect and just buy a freaking good knife. Everything on this can be done better, better with a good knife. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we talked about this in the supplies uh, episode Supplies episode of what you really need versus what you are going to be told that you need. Yep. Yep. Well, that was fun. I think that was a very sensible way of uh, tackling Zed. <laughs> Zed. Yeah. Because otherwise, it would have been Zucchini. Although, I have to give a shout out to Ben Downs of the Travel Man podcast on which I was a guest uh, the episode will is now live or will be by the time this our episode goes up. Top guy in Australia. Uh, really great conversation. And where what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. He said that he said we should do zucchini because he loves it. And I was like, God damn it. I didn't even think about that. Uh, so zucchini is great. It's very hard to mess up. It's good for you. Eat it because Ben of the Travel Man podcast. Go listen to that, too. Said so. And it's called courgette in England. So, um, but yeah, that brings us to an end of our first round, a trip around the uh, around the horn with our alphabets. And again, op- opening it up to the audience on whether or not we we go around again and in potentially a different style. Um, the the other idea that we've been talking about was um, countries. So, a for Albania, what is the food scene like in Albania? Yeah. What is countries the cl- is a good idea? Yeah. The classic, I think that came from a couple of different people throughout the time that we were doing this. I think people were like, Oh, maybe let's do it as a specific section within the, you know, an existing episode, which is possible. I mean, there's so many, there was never a letter that we did, uh, where it was like, Oh, we only have one choice bar, probably X where we yeah. kind of, you know, struggled a little bit. So, um, totally open to, to whatever we do and we'll commit to recording a little bit more frequently. Uh, please bear in mind that I will have an infant soon. So <laughs> I don't know. I will defer to my older brother on what it's like to podcast with a screaming baby. So, um, any tips would be greatly appreciated. Uh, it's challenging, but yeah, it'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah, no, the, the, <laughs> 
if you think we should ditch the whole A to Z thing and just pick a subject at random and do it like by popular vote, tell us. Let us know how you do it. <laughs> I was going to make a, a, a will of the masses joke, but I think it's a little too sensitive given that we're 25 days away from from the implosion of the British the British Empire. So, um, yeah, I think we can do whatever whatever the audience wants as long as it's not leaving the EU. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that, that'll take even longer than it took to go around the episode once. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for listening. And until next time. Eat well. Eat well.